How many of you are ready to receive the word of God today? I mean, the word of God is powerful. It's alive. It's active. If you don't know who I am, I am our high school pastor. I have the incredible opportunity of investing into our students here at CLC. And I just want to say thank you so much, church, for investing into our students um, financially, prayerfully, and all that great ways that you invest into our students. How many of you have enjoyed this series so far, The Thread? Hasn't it been awesome? Come on. I love that we're a part of a church that believes in the Bible, like we believe in the whole Bible. And I'm the kind of guy that I believe in the Bible, like from Genesis all the way to the maps. Anybody with me today? I mean, I love the word of God. It is so true in all that it is. A few weeks ago, Pastor Stan talked about Exodus and how, or in Moses, and how the Israelites got to the brink, to the edge of the promised land that God had given them. How many of you have ever received a promise from God? How many, how about this? How many of you have ever received salvation? Then you've received a promise from God. That's, you've received salvation in God. Today we're going to talk about Joshua, the Joshua generation, how God led the Israelites into the promised land through Joshua. But you see, Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land, but Joshua was a faithful servant under Moses. Moses was an incredible man of God, and he many miracles happened to the Israelites through the hand of Moses. But Joshua, Joshua would be the leader that would lead them into the promised land. And Scripture tells us in Joshua 1.1, that when Moses died, God spoke to Joshua and said, Joshua, you are now to lead my people into the promised land, the land that is filled with milk and honey. My wife and I were talking last night. We were like, how cool is that, milk and honey? And I was like, I like Cool Whip and honey. Like that is like the kind of land that I want to go to. If you got your Bibles open, we're going to be in Joshua today. And if you don't know who Joshua is, Joshua was a servant under Moses. Joshua was a man who actually held up the arms of Moses uh, and, and seeing that God got the victory through a battle, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land. And Joshua was one of the two of the 12 spies that came back and said, we can actually take this promised land. The other 10, they were afraid. They didn't have courage. I was talking to someone in the back. One of, one of the, the spies' names of the 10, that, um, that, that one of the spies' names, his name was Shofat. Like, don't name your kid Shofat, all right? Like, Shofat, don't, if your name is Shofat, I'm so sorry. But anyways, his name was Shofat. Like, Shofat will not get a date to prom. So don't name your kid Shofat. But Joshua 1.1 says this, and I'm just going to read the first nine verses of Joshua, and we're going to have a fun time. You guys ready to have a fun time this morning? Listen, I, listen, I say this all the time. I only say it today. I promise my, my wife can attest to this. Nine o'clock, you are my favorite crowd to preach to because you are the early birds. You wake up like you're ready to receive the word of God. So you just holler at me today. Is that okay? I love it. Look at these guys. Joshua 1.1 says this. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. And then it goes on to say at the bottom of verse 4, it says, all the land, including the land of the Hittites. 
I was reading this just last night after my message, and God revealed a new layer to me. And the land that they were going to occupy was already occupied by somebody else. God was saying, I'm giving you this land, but there's already somebody else there. And God was going to give them an eviction notice. Verse 5 says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not fail you, God said to, to Joshua, or abandon you. He said, be strong. Say, be strong. He said, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong. Say, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continuously. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong. Say be strong. And, and courageous, don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a promise for us that the Lord is with us wherever we go, wherever we march, wherever we go in our lives, the Lord is with us. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us. And I love what he says to Joshua. He says, every place your foot steps, I will be with you. It's land that I've given you, Joshua. Wherever you go, it's land that I've given you. Wherever you walk, it's territory that is yours. And for us today, we can know that wherever I walk, God is beside me. Wherever I go, his presence is with me. When I walk into work, even though things are going crazy, God's presence is with me. When I walk into a bad situation, I know that I'm not alone because he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He's been with me in the hard times in the bad times, in the good times. He's with me wherever I go, church. That's the God that we serve. Tap your neighbor and say this. Tap your neighbor, just whatever neighbor you got. And if you don't have a neighbor, tap the one behind you and say this. Say, thou shalt move on. Oh, that neighbor was stingy. Look at your other neighbor and say, thou shalt move on. That's what we have to do. We have to move on. And that's what Joshua had to do. Every place his foot would go was placed the territory that God was going to give them. And the neighbor, oh, oh, listen, listen, listen. You got to move on. And they were moving into the promised land that God had given them, a land full of milk and honey. You see, the Israelites at this time, they were free in the wilderness. They had been delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. God put Israel's or Egypt's army on blast. The Israelites got food from manna. He provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years. But for 430 years before that, they were in Egyptian bondage and slavery. And now God has given Joshua a word. And the word is you're going to possess the land that I promised promised you nearly 500 years ago. You're going to walk into the promise. Why? Because God is always, always, always faithful to come through on any promise that he ever gives his people and he gives his children. So stand upon his word, stand upon his promises today and trust and believe that God will see you through to the promise that he has given you. Can somebody say amen? It's the God that we worship. It's the God that we serve. A God who says, you're going to enter in to the promised land. God says, I'm giving you this land. The Israelites are getting ready to cross over to the promise. And there's an obstacle 
Anyone ever faced an obstacle in your life? A roadblock, so to speak? The Israelites are on the brink of the promise. Their, their, their land and territory is just on the other side of the river. And God speaks to Joshua and says, you're going to cross over. But they were faced with an obstacle. You see, oftentimes God's given us a promise, but we're faced with obstacles. What do you do when there's an obstacle in your, in your way? What do you do when there's a Red Sea in your way? What do you do when there's a Jordan River between you and the place that God wants to get you? If you've got your Bibles, Joshua 3, uh, 14 says this. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant. I love this. Priest, pastors, kind of like me, right? They're bearing the Ark of the Covenant. They're holding the Ark of the Covenant. And if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it's basically a God box that houses the, the presence of God. How many of you love the presence of God? How many of you felt God's presence in worship today? That very same presence we felt was with the Israelites, but it was held in this God box. And Joshua tells them, hey, you're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. It's going to go ahead of you. It's going to go before the people. Listen, wherever you go, whatever battle you're going to go into, whatever, whatever obstacle you're going to face, know that the presence of God is going to go before you, that the presence of God is going ahead of you, that there's not a place that you will ever go that God's presence isn't going to go with you or be ahead of you. Let his presence go. Don't go into a battle without praying. Don't go into a war without seeking the face of God and the things of God. The Israelites, they took the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, into the Jordan River. And it says, as soon as those bearing the Ark, as soon as they came to the Jordan, I'm a pastor, right? I'm thinking like, I got to carry this box into water. Like this is no fun, okay? But see what God's word says. It says, as soon as they get to the brink of the water, Scripture says, as soon, I love what the ESV version says. It says, as soon as the priest dipped their feet, like dipped their toes into the water, God miraculously splits the Jordan River or cuts the Jordan River off. The land instantly becomes dry and the people begin to cross over on dry ground. A miracle of all miracles. It, God was saying, listen, I split a Red Sea, I can split the Jordan River. But the crazy thing is, is on this day, the Jordan River was at its widest and was at its highest because it was in flood season. It was at flood time. And I'm sure that all of the Israelites there are thinking, Joshua is crazy. Joshua has lost his mind. Joshua is insane because this river is really wide and I don't want to get too wet to get to the promise that God's got me. So God decides on the day where the Jordan River is the absolute widest, God says, I want to deliver my people into the promised land. But why? Because we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who looks at situations and says, I want it to be impossible so that people People don't forget what I do because we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who rose again from the grave. We serve a God who performs miracles, signs, and wonders time and time again. And he wanted the Israelites on this day to never forget, to never forget that he delivered his people into the promised land on dry ground. It's a miracle as the Jordan River was split. 
says that all the Israelites got on the other side and Joshua commanded them. He commanded them to build a monument out of 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he told them to put the monument in the very place where the Ark of the Covenant stood. And he said, I want you to do this so that your children and your children's children never forget what I have done and how I have given you the promised land. Come on, don't forget that God's given you a promise. Don't forget that God's delivered you. Don't forget that God has healed you. Don't forget the times that God has redeemed you, that he saved you, that he's given you another breath, that he's given you life and life more abundantly. Don't forget the promise that God's given you. Don't be short-minded, church. We can't. We can't do it. You can shout. That's fine. You don't have to either. It's all right. I'm blessing myself today. It says they got over. They built a monument so that they would always remember what God had done. They crossed over right in front of a city, a city called Jericho. And it's crazy that the Israelites are in their promise. And as soon as they're in their promise, the first thing they walk into is a wall. Anybody ever faced a wall before in your life? They're about to be in a battle. Because the truth is, is you can be in the promise of God. And you can be in the hand of God, and you're still going to face battles. Because the enemy wants to destroy your life. Check this out. God kept them alive in the wilderness. He split the Jordan River. They're in the place of promise. What do you do when you're in the place of promise? The place that God has given you. And you get a bad doctor's report. Or you get a bad financial report. Or maybe your child goes AWOL and off the rails. Now you're facing a challenge in the opposition of the promise. And truth is this, is that opposition is inevitable. If you're a child of God today, it does not mean that life is always perfect and easy. You're going to face battles. Our graduates are going to face battles as they go in their life. Joshua's first major challenge here is taking the land of Jericho. And it's not an easy one because Jericho is the most fortified city in the world at the time. Jericho's walls say, uh, some scholars say Jericho's walls were as high as 28 feet. And they were so wide that, that they could have chariot races on top of the walls. And the Israelites are facing a wall. What happens when you face a wall? What happens, what do you do when you're facing a wall? What do you do when you see a wall in front of you? God gives Joshua instructions on how to win this battle and lets him know that I'm going to fight this battle for you. That you're not going to have to lift the sword. You're not going to have to penetrate these walls. I'm going to knock these walls down because the battle was God's, not theirs. The battle's God's, not yours. Because ultimately God gets the victory, not us. Joshua 6, 1 says, now that Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel, it says that no one went in, no one came out. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, say see. He's telling Joshua to be strong earlier and to see See that I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings and its strong warriors. God tells Joshua to see. To see what? To see that I've given Jericho into your hands. Not, not Joshua, don't see the walls. Don't see how wide they are or how tall they are. Don't see your enemy. See that I've given you your enemy. See that, see that I've given you the land. Because Joshua had to remember that wherever he went, 
was his. It was God's territory, ultimately. Not to see the walls, but to see the promise. Joshua, there's nothing you can do to get this wall to come down. But I am God, and I can do what I need to do to get this wall to come down. All I need you to do, Joshua, and your people to do is to stay in faith. I need you to march around this wall for six days. I need you to just walk around the wall in complete silence in six days. Just keep marching. Just keep walking. Some of you in this room, you're on the edge of giving up. You're on the edge of giving up. You're on the edge of quitting. You're on the edge of stopping marching, but I got a word for you today. Keep walking. Take another lap. That's exactly what the Israelites were called to do, to continue to walk around the walls of Jericho. You don't know, church, it might be day six. Don't quit walking. Don't quit serving. Don't quit praying. Don't quit believing. Don't quit. Don't quit. It might be day six, lap five. Take another lap. Don't quit. Don't give up because God's given you a promise. He's going to give you the same promise he gave the Israelites that I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to give you this thing that you've been circling. Maybe you've been circling for some of you sickness. Maybe you need God to heal you. Maybe you've been circling singleness or the loss of a job or infertility, or maybe you've been praying for a loved one. I'm here today to tell you to keep going around. Keep honoring God. Listen, church, you might be on day three. You might be on day six. You might be on day seven, lap six. What you've got to do is take another lap take another lap because the walls will come down. The promise will come to pass. God will see you true. And I need you to build your life on the truth of my word, God says, not on the facts of your circumstances. Because the, come on, the facts of your circumstances will always tell you like, no, But the truth of God's word will tell you that you are a conqueror. The truth of God's word will say that you are healed. The truth of God will tell you that he is with you always, that he will never leave you or forsake you. And when you're in the midnight hour and you think your prayers are hitting just the ceiling and coming right back down, God's word says, I'm with you always. And I hear every cry of your heart. Stand upon the truth of God's word and not yourself. Don't lose how bizarre this is. These Israelite warriors are amped for a fight. Listen, church, don't make God, don't make the wall bigger than our God. The Israelites are amped for a fight. They're excited for what God's going to do, and they're just marching. I was talking to Paige last night, and I said, I imagine, um, you know, when I come home every day, she, she says, she says, hey, honey, how was your day? I'm like, here's an hour-long conversation. No, I love it because she's interested in my day. I can imagine when these warriors went home. I imagine as they went home, their wives were like, how was your day? Did you knock down the big guy today? Big, strong warrior, you. And they're like, no, we just walked around. Right? We just walked around again. Oh, how was that? I don't know. It was like a vision trip. Or just seeking the opportunity, just circling, walking. I mean, imagine uh, football, right? I love football. Anybody love football? Come on, I love it. How about the Bengals? Bengals? Pastor Stan loves the Browns. 
Wow, rough crowd. Sorry, Pastor, if you're watching. Um, imagine the offensive coordinator telling the football players, hey, you're not going to go out and run a play. You're all going to go out, hold hands, and sing away in the manger. You're just going to walk. And you're going to be silent. You're not going to say anything until the seventh lap on the seventh day when you hear the trumpet sound. Ooh. You see, I don't know about you, but I need to see progress. Nothing happened on day five, four, three, two, one, or day six. There was no progress. Scripture doesn't tell us that bricks began to fall down or that the walls began to shake at all. We don't see any progress. You see, for me, like, <laughs> if I'm eating a salad, I need to see the pounds coming off. Like, stand on, like, the scale and see the pounds coming off. Like, if I'm doing planks, I need to see abs, like, instantly, or I'm just not going to do it. Like, I need to see progress. Where are my progress people at? Come on. Yes. Okay. Israelites see no progress. They're just waiting. They're just circling. They just keep walking around, walking around. And then on the seventh day, say the seventh day, on the seventh lap, they did as God instructed. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted with a great shout. What'd they do? They what? Come on. They what? One more time. They did what? And then the walls fell flat. Come on, the walls fell down because when God gives you a promise, he comes through on his promise every single time. God served the people of Jericho, their eviction notice. He put them on blast, church. God got the credit, God got the victory, and Jericho is proof that if God did it for them, then God can do it for me too. But don't take matters into your own hand, church. Because the next battle, the next city over, was a city called Ai. You see, Jericho was kind of like Dayton. <laughs> I got anybody from Covington here today? West Milton, where are you at? Come on. Ai was like Covington. Really small city, really small town. Their next battle, the next city over. We're going to take AI. Man, we just took Jericho. God is awesome. Go to the next city, and the Israelites lost. What happens in your life when you just had a huge victory, but then you go into another battle and you lose? You see, the Israelites lost this battle because of sin. One man sinned caused them to lose the next battle. But the truth is, is losing one battle doesn't define you, and it doesn't define God. Listen, your history, your history does not dictate your future. doesn't have to dictate your future. Your past failures do not have to dictate where you're going. What do you do after you lose a battle? You got to move on. You got to move. Because one lost battle doesn't define you. Listen, church family, one lost battle doesn't define you. I'm speaking to some people today who you've lost some battles. You've went through some tough times. 
Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you know someone who's terminally ill. Maybe you're going through a financial struggle and you feel like you've lost the battle. Maybe you keep tripping up and falling back into that sin and it feels you feel like the battle has been lost. Listen, you may lose a battle here or there, but the war's not over. The war's not over. The war's not over because God's going to see you through to the victory. So anyways, Joshua repents. The Israelites repent. You like Joshua so far? Good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All three of us. Um, <laughs> hey, I say I love the 9 o'clock crowd. Don't let me down, guys. Don't let me down. Joshua prays. They take AI again. Or they go to take AI. This time they take it. They win successfully. And then the Amorites, they're like, Jericho's been on blast. AI just got taken. They say, you know what? We're going to all group together. We're all going to group together, and we're going to take the fight to Israel. So Israel's in the promised land. Five Amorite kings get together to outnumber the Israelites and say, we're going to take the fight to the Israelites. What do you do when your army seems bigger than you? What do you do when the battle seems too large? Well, the Israelites know God, God got us through the Jordan River. God knocked down the walls of Jericho. And if God knocked down the walls of Jericho, these five kings stand nothing against our God. So they get it going to a battle, and the Israelites are actually winning this war. But as the sun begins to set on this battle on this day against the five kings at, at, at Gibeon, as the sun begins to set, Joshua sees that it's setting, and he thinks to himself, if it becomes darkness, if it becomes darkness, they'll all get to flee, and they'll regroup in larger numbers, and then they'll overtake us. So Joshua prays a bold prayer. Where are my prayer warriors at in the room? I'm not talking like five minutes a day. I'm talking, where are my prayer warriors at in the room? Joshua prays a prayer, and he calls out to God, and God calls the sun to freeze in the middle of the sky. The same God who spoke the sun into the existence, the same God who created everything, the same God who saw the people through the Red Sea and through the Jordan River and who provided, now caused the sun to freeze in the middle of the sky for an entire day so that the Israelites could win the battle and the victory. I, I'm telling you, some of you need to pray. There is power in your prayer. There is power when you pray and you call upon the name of the Lord. God will see you through every single time. If you just pray and seek God. Joshua goes on to win 12 more battles to conquer 31 cities in his reign. And he divides up the land, the promised land that God has given them. He divides the land up uh, amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. It's amazing. They're living in the promised land. Joshua's generation was the generation that seen God move, that experienced the power and the hand of God. Joshua's generation was forced to trust God because their enemies were stronger and bigger than they were. They went through hardship and sacrifice. They experienced faithfulness of God in every circumstance. They were the generation that through the power of God conquered and attained the promise. Joshua, amazing. You love it? Come on, you love it. I got three minutes. Uh-oh. My last point, don't forget the victories. I'm going to ask Juan to come out, and uh, he's going to come out and play the keys. Make me sound real spiritual. So we get into the book of Judges now, after Joshua passes away. 
And upon Joshua's death, we see a crucial difference between the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. I want to read it to you today. Joshua 1.1 says this. We read it earlier. It says, After Moses, the Lord's servant, died, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And Judges 1.1 says this. After Joshua died, the Israelites asked the Lord, who should lead the invasion against the Canaanites and launch the attack? Both books begin with the death of a major leader. But in the first case, both God and Moses arranged a successor. In the latter case, there was no one to step forward and lead the people. What's going to happen with the people of God? They're in the promise of God, enjoying the things of God, enjoying all the riches and glory of God. So the judges had to rule. And there was a, a huge lack of leadership because the baton was never passed. You know, in any race that you go watch, relay races, the most dangerous zone is the exchange zone. It's the zone where you pass off the baton. And here, Joshua never passed the baton to the next leader or to the next generation. Say next generation. The next generation. The next generation, I wrote this down, reaped the benefits of the previous generation and their hard-fought battles. They heard the stories and the power of God, but they didn't experience the power of God. The next generation had become interested in developing, developing the land that God had given them. Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. Developing the land that God had given them, and they did not have time for God himself. Sounds like our generation today. They grew up in affluence. The next generation grew up in affluence. The next generation was dwelling safely in cities that they didn't build. They were eating fruit from vineyards that they did not plant. They did not have to experience sacrifice and hardship. They had not learned to trust in God as a provider. With all of these benefits just handed to them, they had time to pursue after pleasure. And soon that pleasure became their God. This time of prosperity, prosperity continued until the time of which we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to get emotional. This is the saddest verse in the Bible. The saddest verse in the Bible. I can't even believe it. it the Bible even says this. It says, Judges 2, 10. It says, there arose another generation. The next generation arose after them, which did not know God. And they forgot the promises and forgot all the works and miracles that he had done for them in Israel. Sad. Somehow, in all of their material prosperity, they failed to share with their children the reason for all the success that they had. Their children did not hear of how God split the Red Sea. Their children did not hear of how God split the Jordan River. Their children did not hear of how God brought the walls of Jericho down. And the next generation grew up and it says they forgot the miracles and they did not know God. It can happen that quick, parents. It can happen that quick, church. The next generation can forget what God has done in the hearts of your generation that quickly. 80 years prior from the next generation, crazy 80 years prior God split the Red Sea but the next generation had forgot it 40 years prior 
40 years prior, they forgot that the walls of Jericho fell down. They forgot that the Jordan River was split. You remember how Joshua told them to build a monument so that your children never forget? They forgot. And what happened when they forgot? Well, they fell away from God. Judges is, if you read it, it's like terrible. The children of God are seeking the pleasures of this world rather than the presence of God. They actually take on pagan practices. You know, the reason they went through the wilderness was to get their slave mentality out of them. And now they enter into the promised land and they take on pagan practices like sacrificing children and worshiping golden idols, crazy, crazy stuff. This is called Next Gen Weekend for a reason. Because we want you, church, to invest into the next generation. Because we know, I know, that this generation of students that I lead and these kids that I lead are going through battles that your generation never had to face. But the crazy thing is, and the sad thing is, is many of them aren't equipped to face the battles that they're facing because our generation dropped the baton. We dropped the handoff. Church, we need you. We need you to invest into kids' life and in student life. We need you to serve our kids. We need you to serve our students. We need you. Today, when you walk out, I'll be at these booths over the side. We need you to invest into the next generation. Oh, I'm too old. Listen, Joshua was 80 and still taking down giants. You are not washed up. You are not too old for God to use you. There's wisdom inside of you that these students and kids need to hear. They need to feel the love and the presence of God in a powerful way. And we need you, church, to step up. We need you to be strong and courageous. We need you to pray for our students and pray for our graduates and seek the face of God for the next generation. I don't know about you, but I want my ceiling to be their floor. I don't want my ceiling to be their pitfalls, church. This is why I do what I do. This is why I'm a youth pastor. This is why I invest into students and we need you church to step up and invest into the next generation so that they don't forget the things of God and the hand of God and the works of God and the miracles of God. Don't let them forget. And please, oh, I'm about to step on toes. Please don't give hand claps and not put your money. Don't put your, your works where your claps are. Like put your works where your hand claps are. Put your works where your praise is. Don't let it be lip service today. Like really invest into your kids. Parents, it can happen that quickly. The next generation can forget. The next generation can forget. Because the next generation in Judges were seeking the pleasures of this world rather than the presence of God. We need to teach them about the word of God. You see in Judges, all of the leaders are flawed. God's people are wicked. Judges like Othniel was really old, Ehud, Shamgar, weird name, Tola, Elon, Abdon, Deborah, we've heard of Deborah, pretty good. Gideon would lead his generation into a battle, a battle with about 300 people. God's, you see, the next generation is still gonna have battles, just like your generation has had battles. And the generation before you had battled, the next generation is still gonna face battles. Every one of the judges faced battles. Every one of the judges had to judge. But the judges were seeking something different. For Gideon, he was seeking the presence of God and God wanted to show them his mighty hand at work. 
Gideon was fearful. But God whittled down Gideon's army to about 300 people. And he told Gideon to take his army of 300 into a battle of tens of thousands of people. And God gave them to victory because we serve a God who parts a Red Sea. We serve a God who knocks down Jericho. We serve a God who gives victory. Even when you seem like you're facing a situation that's too big for you, we serve a God who can give you the victory in life's toughest and hardest situations and seasons. It's the God that we serve. Samson, we see, was a powerful judge, but yet he fell amongst the pleasures of a Philistine woman. He sought the pleasures of this world rather than the presence of God. Powerful soldier, like modern day Rambo was who Samson was, but he fell victim to it. And Judges 21, 25 says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It says that multiple times, they did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. I'm going to ask the band to come up. You see, that's how Judges ends. Judges ends with them seeking for a king. Joshua ended with them seeking for another leader. Moses or Exodus ends with them seeking for like another leader. They're always seeking for another person. They're always seeking for the next thing. And the Israelites and judges are seeking for a king. So another Joshua would come, and this Joshua would give us the courage to obey all the way because this Joshua would show us that even in clearer ways that he's fighting for us, the city that stood in our way, in my way, was not a city of Jericho. The city that stood in my way was a city of sin that separated me from God. And Jesus, which simply means Greek for Joshua, says don't lift a finger to take it down because there's nothing you can do to take it down. So I'll do it for you. Jesus is our better Joshua today, church. Jesus is our better king. And Jesus came not to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive today, church. It's the God that we serve. And we're all, yes, come on. It's the God that we serve. And we're all facing, we're all facing walls, not of brick and mortar, but of eternal separation from God. And Jesus hung upon a cross and bore a criminal's death and he knocked down the walls of eternal separation from God and the sword of judgment that should have been ours was placed upon his life and he died. And he said, watch and believe and shout, 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 shout. He said, watch and believe and shout. Shout, shout church. This is what it means to be a Christian. You shout, you shout this. I believe in God. I believe that God gave me the victory. I believe that God give, has given me life and life more abundantly. And then you will see the walls of separation between you and God fall down. And then for the rest of your life, you just keep on shouting, God gives me the victory. You just keep on shouting, I believe. You just keep on shouting, I put my hope and trust in Jesus Christ because if he won this battle for me, then he'll also give me the power to live a good Christian life, to be a good husband, to be a good dad, to accomplish your will in my career, or to be a faithful witness, or to overcome temptation, or to endure in this season. Listen, church, we're in a crazy season in our church. God's getting ready to blow the doors off of this church. I believe it. Receive it. God's going to do incredible things in CLC right here in our church. You got to believe it, church. You got to receive it, church. Because if God knocked down the biggest city of all for me, my death, my condemnation, my sin, then he'll surely knock down the lesser ones for you. Because we obtain victory in life, not by superior battle techniques, 
but by a superior God who come to save us, to redeem us, and to love us. How does Judges end? In disappointment, looking for a king. Every book in the Old Testament ends that way, looking for the next thing. The thread points to Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed all across this place. If you're here in this room today and you say, Pastor Chris, I feel the presence of God. Maybe the Holy Spirit's nudging you. You say, Pastor Chris, today I want to give my heart, my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, will you raise your hand all across this place? Say, Pastor Chris, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see some hands. One, two, three. Where's hands at? You say, God's knocking down walls of separation right now, church. Anyone else? Say, I want to give my life to Christ today. Come on. Yeah, I see another hand. Anyone else? The greatest miracle of all is when a sinner comes home. For those of you who raised your hand, so excited. You're about to enter into the family of God. If you raised your hand, when you walk out of these doors in the VIP room, there's people there to pray for you, to love on you. And as I pray over you right now, church, as I pray over you, those who raised your hands, four or five people who raised your hands, as I pray over you, I want you to receive God. And in your own way, say, God, I'm a sinner. Transform me and save my life. Let me pray for you, church. And then we're going to celebrate and shout the victory for God. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us the victory, Lord. For those who raise their hand, God, I ask that your presence would transform them, that your presence would renew them, that you would do great and mighty things in them and through them, God, that you would knock down the walls of eternal separation, condemnation, and sin, Lord, that people are crossing over from death to life right now, God. And we know you are a God of victory. And we know that we, in every battle, in every season that we go through, we know that the victory is yours in every single battle belongs to you. So we will shout, we will praise, and we will lift our hands because you are King Jesus. You are alive and you are seated well today. And the battle is not ours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Come on, church. Let's worship God today.